Merry Christmas, every single one of you. How are you all? Thank you for the beautiful music, Jim. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for the just the beautiful music. How are Merry Christmas. Only a couple more days, and we have Christmas. Um, it is such a pressure, uh, pleasant privilege for me to be with you today. Just to, uh, to um, be here at this time of the year uh, and to kind of welcome in this time of the year and, and thank God for Christmas and the birth of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that that means. What I'd like to do is to um, move along in this journey that we are going through and taking a look at what the church looks like. Uh, I don't want to take away from the season in Christmas. We will for sure tomorrow... There will be two services tomorrow, one at 4 o'clock and the other at 6. And um, we will have a, a, a real Christmas theme. We'll talk about the, the birth of Christ. And what we want to look at tomorrow is uh, the reason for his birth, which implicates every single one of us. And so we'll talk about that tomorrow. But today, I want to fulfill what we've been doing as far as what our churches ought to look like. Um, we've been trying with all of our hearts to explain to those of you that attend here, those of you that are visiting, thanks for coming. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas year and, and, and a new year ahead of you. What we have been doing is we've looked in the book of Acts, the second chapter, the 42nd verse. And what we did or what we're trying to do is put together what the apostles gave to the people at the first beginning of the first church, of what church ought to be like. And if you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, there is a key phrase there that Peter said to the, the people that, that formulated this first body of believers. And what he said to them is what I think should be apparent to every single one of us that named the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that is... He wanted the congregation to be continually devoting themselves. That's the issue of a church. But that is the issue of our lives. As we go into this holiday season, this Christmas season, as we go into the very um, celebration of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Christmas, and as we venture into this new year, the year 2008, what I'd like for all of us is that we have a a real understanding of who we are in Christ, what does our church stand for, what, what is the purpose of church. And what it is, is if you can remember at all, is that you are to continually devote yourselves to the things of God. Now, in that particular verse, there are four things. We have already looked at three of them. The first thing that Peter said that he wanted the people to be continually devoted to was the teaching of the Word of God. Because he says, I want you to be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, it is within these pages that you and I understand and know how we are to live. What, what, are, our, what are our rules? What's the guideline of this faith that we have called Christianity? And the beauty of it is, is it goes through all and any of the denominations and it gets us right into the very core of what God expects from each of us, what He wants from us, to be continually devoted to this, the Word of God. After that, it says in that 42nd verse of Acts chapter 2, also want you to be continually devoted to fellowship. Now, fellowship is a, 
an interesting word. It can just mean having a nice time together. But that's not what the apostle was teaching. And that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ passed along to the apostles to tell us. The word fellowship means, if you break it down, in the Greek means to have partnership with or a shared experience with. And if you look at that verse, and you, I mean, excuse me, if you look at that word deeply enough, there is a partnership that you and I have with the Lord. That partnership is, well, it kind of goes with this season, getting gifts. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave you a spiritual gift to be used within the church, to partner, if you would, with one another, to have a shared experience with one another, because as we learn in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, there is a very specific reason why you and I have been gifted. He says, I want you to equip one another. You can't really equip one another until we understand what we are to do with that we have been given and how to equip one another. How to equip one another. He says, I want you to equip one another for the work of service, it says in Ephesians 4.12. So as to build up the body of Christ. That's the reason we function as believers. So we understand the word of God so that we know what the ground rules are. So we now know what we're supposed to do with this thing called our faith. And we're to be continually devoted to the word of God. Then we're to be continually devoted to a shared experience with one another so that we can equip one another. Your gift is, is critically important to this church. Each of our gifts are critically important to this church so that we can do the work of service, whatever it is the Lord has called us to do, so that we can ultimately do what he wants us to do, and that is to build up the body of Christ. When that happens, because of who we are, human beings, sinners saved by the grace of God. There will, when a church is functioning on the word of God and doing the things of God to build up the body of Christ, Satan will come in and try to cause friction, try to break the harmony, the unity within the body of Christ. So the apostles tell us, taught by Jesus Christ, therefore, I want you to be continually devoted to the breaking of bread. In other words, I want you to be continually devoted to communion. The reason we are to be continually devoted to communion is Jesus Christ taught his disciples, those that followed him, said, look, he says, when you take this bread and you take of this cup, I want you to do it in remembrance of who? Me, he said. I want you to remember Remember what I've told you. Remember what I've taught you. Remember what's going on. Remember what I did when I went to the cross and shed my blood for you because I shed it for the forgiveness of your sins. And the way to combat any friction within anyone's life is to go to our Lord and remember how he has forgiven us so that we might forgive others. More importantly, forgive ourselves. Remember when Peter asked the Lord, if somebody does us wrong, how often should we forgive them? Seven times? And the Lord says, no, I say to you seven times 70, or 70 times seven. I forget the way it, it goes, but the, the point is forever. 
Forgiveness is key within the body of Christ. Forgiveness is key within a family. Forgiveness is, is so important to you and me. And so we should be continually devoted to understand the Word of God so that we know where we're going. We should be continually devoted to fellowship, partnering with one another so we can build up the body of Christ. We should be continually devoted to one another so that we remember all that Jesus Christ did for us so that when someone does wrong us, and they will. I remember my wife and I were watching. I really liked the series Seinfeld. You ever watch that thing? It's, it just cracked me up. It cracked me up. And I remember one time Jerry was sitting with his his girlfriend, I guess you'd call her, Elaine, doesn't matter. What, what, what matters is they were talking about something and they said something that cracked K and up on it, cracked K and E up. And they said, people, aren't they the worst? And I thought, isn't that, that's, that hit home to me. We are the worst because we're sinners saved by the grace of God. And so we need to be continually devoted to one another. To make that happen, so that you would sense all the power that enables you to do what God has called you and me to do, we need the last thing that is mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and that is to understand the true meaning of prayer. Because the place that you and I receive our power is when we understand that we can go to an almighty God who wants to hear from us, and wants to hear our prayers and understand what it means when we go to Him in prayer. And so that's the fourth thing we want to look at in the next few weeks. And, and I'd love to look at that with you today, this morning. And I'd love for you to see a wonderful example of, of prayer. Um, we do this not to, not to celebrate a person, although it is... Virginia is going to be the person that you and I will see who will be talking about prayer. But rather than who it is that is saying these things, I want you to listen to what Virginia has to say about prayer. Watch this video. It's really wonderfully done. The Lord says that the earth may quake and my people may quake, but I hold the pillars firm. And that's what prayer looks like to me. It's a safe haven. It's a place I can go and I know, I know without a doubt, there's going to be calmness and peace at the end. This world is so ugly, but God is so big and his angels are everywhere. I pray to a God who is capable and willing and who loves me and wants the best for me. So my prayer always is, your will be done, Heavenly Father. And then it is. And then no matter what his will is, I take it. Sometimes I smile and I say, sometimes I'm okay, Lord. It's okay. I can live with this too. Because you see the bigger picture. I'm only in the here and now. I wake up in the morning and I thank God for a brand new day. And I ask God to lead me in that day. This is before I take the sheets off me and put my foot on the ground. I said, lead me this day, Heavenly Father, and don't let me miss an opportunity. But it's all during the day. I don't just think I'm gonna set aside this. It's like you can't set aside God. 
it's he's if he tells you to do it now it's now and and I I humble myself before him because he's a God so I, I often get on my knees I have a hard time getting up but I'll get down <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father look down upon our church Heavenly Father Lord God and renew our strength that we may soar with eagles Heavenly Father tirelessly and I pray in Jesus' name. That's kind of precious, isn't it? The very essence of prayer is understanding that we go to God seeking His will. I mean, even Jesus Christ, when He was about to go to the cross, He said, Oh Lord, let this cup pass away from me. But, He said, remember? But not my will be done. Your will be done. And so what we need to understand as we take a look today at prayer, as we go into this wonderful time of the year, Christmas, we need to understand what it really means to to pray and to receive the power that is so graciously given to us. Let's open up with prayer. Let's do that. Our most heavenly and gracious Father, we come before you, Father, to, uh, to exalt your holy and most righteous name. We come, Father, to exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have given to us so that we might come before you in the righteousness that is clothed in us because of your Son, Jesus. We come in his name, Father, and we ask that you might Allow us to bless you in any way that we can. Allow us, Father, to serve you this moment in our lives that we might give praise to your most holy and righteous name. Bless us, please, dear Father. Bless us so that we might in return bless you. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for this special time of the year that we can celebrate the birth of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and give you thanks for all that he has done and all that he means to each of us, Father. Bless this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It is written by a a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I think it could be written by many, many different people. But he writes these words, prayer is beyond any question, he writes, the highest activity of the human soul. He goes on to write, we are at our greatest and highest when we are upon our knees and come face to face with God. There is no spiritual task that you and I will ever do that will reach the heights of prayers. Prayers are are fitting for all of us. It, it's, it's just as important and is just critical for the young to pray it is as it is for those of us who are older. And we come to God on a, on a common ground, whether we be the most intelligent of persons or some of us who are not so smart. We stand before the throne of God on equal turf when we come to Him in prayer. Prayers are amazing. They can, they can occur instantly. At the, at the moment of, of, a, of a thought, we can go to God in prayer. 
And yet, our prayers that we mention in one moment in time can linger throughout eternity. I mean, who of us have not prayed for our our children? Who of us have not, once we had children, prayed for our grandchildren and then their kids? And our prayers can go and reach to all eternity of time. I heard one guy once, he was speaking on on prayer, and he he said, you know, some, I said, I, when I was younger, he said, Christian, I didn't understand prayer. And he says, it really hit me. He said, when uh, my daughter brought home her first boyfriend, he, he went and he looked at him and he, he said, excuse me for a minute. And he went to the bedroom and he fell on his knees and he said, oh, Lord, not him. You know, and it, he said, he understood praying for his, his children at that point in time. Prayers are fantastic in your life and my life. They can be focused on a single object as close to us as our breath. And yet they can reach out to the uttermost parts of this earth in which we live. We can pray for loved ones who are uh, fighting overseas for, for our safety and for us. We can be with them as wherever they may be. In one precious moment in time, you and I can go before... God Almighty, and through His power, we could bind the evil one. And so prayer is simple, and yet it's complex. It's it's really the essence of, of talking personally with God. It's a privilege of privileges. And so many of us as believers have have really misinterpreted the whole idea of prayer. And what I would love to do, if if the Lord would allow us in this moment in time and in the next few weeks to come is to really understand what does our Lord say to us about praying? In Luke chapter 11, don't turn there please, but if you want to turn and hold a place, look at Matthew chapter 6 for a moment. But we'll look at that in, a, in, in due time. But in, in Luke chapter 11, the disciples must have overheard Jesus Christ praying and they said to him, teach us to pray. And he said... Okay, pray in this fashion. And that's what we're going to look at when we come to Matthew chapter 6 today. To be continually devoted to the things that God has asked us to be devoted to. The teaching of the Word of God. Open up our eyes, dear Lord, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. That's, that's Psalms 119 verse 18. So that we can be continually devoted to fellowship, partnering with one another, so that we can equip one another for the work of service, so as to build up, by the grace of God Almighty, build up the family, the body of Christ, and to be continually devoted to communion, so as to keep our minds and our thoughts and remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us and all He wants to give to us. And now we come to prayer. The prayers which makes possible our understanding the Word of God, our doing what God wants us to do within the family of God and to have harmony within our lives through prayer. It gives us the power. The real essence of prayer is is a simple thing. It's, It's just simply talking to God as you would to a very beloved friend. But amazingly, for for so many, prayer gets replaced with busyness. We end up doing 
more than we do conversing with God. A busy lifestyle can crowd out, if you can imagine, it can crowd out the very honor and privilege that you and I have by going to the very throne room of God Almighty and allowing Him to know our requests for either ourselves or for our, our mate or, or for our children or for our parents or for our jobs or for whatever. As Virginia said in the video, we can go to Him comforted knowing that we've come to that place of peace, knowing that God Almighty Himself hears our prayers. But busyness can stop us from that. Also, there are those who use prayer as a time to make their demands to God. Believe that God is our Santa there up in the sky or this butler or gopher for us who, who, who we impose upon Him to do what we want, when we want, whenever we want it. It's all about, for some people, their agenda. God should do for them when they call upon Him. That's not what prayer is all about. For others, prayer becomes nothing more than a, a ritual. You get so busy with your time, as we mentioned, that you forget to pray. You, you, you do not pray without ceasing. It's, it's not a, a, a habit that you do just praying during the day. And you put it off and you think, oh, I better pray to the Lord. I haven't prayed. And you lay down at bed at night and you start to pray. And before you know it, you're gone, you know. And you lack purpose in your life. You lack vitality in your prayer life. You, you lack the energy that you ought to have. And, and, and feeling that sting of really not doing it well, then you, you don't do it at all. And with that attitude, you give... Satan, a stronghold over your life. Don't do that. I beg of you, don't do that. Understand what true prayer is. You see, true prayer is the ultimate test of, of your spiritual condition. Very little will tell you and me more about ourselves than our prayer lives. You see, when we get alone with God, there's really no one there that we can fool if we, if we understand what the Bible says. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. We can't fool Him. And so when we go to Him in prayer, we get very honest with ourselves, honest with our situation. Our being alone with God ought to be the greatest desire of our hearts. Think about it. Think about talking to God on a daily basis, on a on a. On a just an ongoing basis in your life. One of the greatest privileges I have that the Lord God has given me in my life is my son calls me every day. Now, my son knows something about me. He knows that I hate to talk on the phone. So, when he calls me, he makes it short and sweet. He says, Dad, just call him to tell you I love you. How are you doing? Anything I can do for you. Do you know that I look forward to that call every day? I feel empty when it doesn't happen. Now, I'm not a perfect father. None of us are. 
none of us are perfect parents, but we have a perfect Father who is in heaven, who loves us and longs to hear from us. Two days ago, my son and his wife and the two kids came back from a little vacation that they took, and I picked them up at the airport. Um, I picked them up about 10 o'clock at night, drove them home. On the way home, John Mark was driving. I was sitting alongside of him, and he said, Dad, he said, um, was vacations like this when you took Cassie and I? I said, what do you mean like this? He says, man, he says, my son, he was on me 24-7. He says, now, he says, now, he says, I understand why you wanted to take quiet walks on the beach by yourself. I said, no, it's, it's, it's a good thing. I couldn't wait to get home. I said, Kay, I said, Kay, you won't believe me. You won't believe what John Mark said to me on the way home. He wanted to get away from the kids for a while. He couldn't understand how we spent so much time with them on vacations. He now knows the frustrations that we had raising kids. Quick, let's go over to their house, feed the kids sugar, and leave. <laughs> let, them really, let them really enjoy. The... And these conversations that you have with someone that you love is, is priceless. And don't you know that your Father who is in heaven longs to hear from you so that you can tell him the, the details of your life. It's the most precious time you and I will ever have. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6. And what I would like to do is to begin, starting today, to break down the... Uh, some of the old wives' tales that you and I might have about prayer. Prayer is a very precious thing, as I've already explained. It is that, it is that time that you get to go before the Lord and talk to Him like you would a beloved friend. Jesus warned His followers to guard against praying with the wrong attitude. The issue of prayer as you're going to find out in the weeks to come, is our hearts before God. In Matthew chapter 6, what we are going to see, what Jesus allows us to see through his disciples, is the wrong attitude that plagued the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They viewed prayer and doing good things uh, as a means of showing off their spirituality. What Jesus is going to teach the disciples and us is that when we come to the Father, we ought to humble ourselves. I mean, again, I'm going to say, Jesus Christ, when he was about to go to the cross, said, Father, uh, allow this cup to be removed from me. But he said, not my will, yours be done. That's the attitude that we are to have when we go to God. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, Beware of practicing your righteousness before mankind to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2, When therefore you give alms, in other words, you do some act of charity, whatever that might be, when you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they might be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
In other words, if, if they want to do something, if, if you and I want to do something so that the, the city of Yorba Linda or our community or our family thinks special of us, we're doing it for the wrong motive. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 3, when you do acts of charity, when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's kind of a, a, a statement of, of do it so that it's not to be noticed by others. In verse 4, that your alms may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. Now he talks about praying. Verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. When you shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. What Jesus is saying is, your Father knows all the secrets of your heart. He'll see these things. When you go to Him, go to Him and pray to Him, as He says here, in secret. He says, though, in verse 7, watch, it's really important. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do. Gentiles are unbelievers. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Well, what we know here is that Jesus said, don't worry about how much you say and don't say it over and over and over again, meaningless repetition. Your father knows. You don't have to use a lot of words. For those of us that think we have to go and take hours upon hours to go before God, no, a simple prayer of help, a simple prayer of thanks is... Is sufficient. Look what he says. Therefore, verse 8, don't be like them, meaning them, meaning the unbelievers. He says, your father knows what you need before you even ask of him. Folks, you and I are to go to him not because we're going to reveal to him some innermost thoughts of us. He already knows that. We go to him out of respect to honor him to give him the praise and the glory. As Virginia so wonderfully said in this video that we saw, she goes to him to find that place of peace and comfort, even though, if you listen to what she said, he doesn't always answer her according to what she wants, but his will will be done. And in that place, she finds peace and comfort. That comes because when you understand first and foremost, our first to be continually devoted to the Word of God, you and I will know that God has His best in mind for us. He wants to care for us. He wants to love us. And so, He already knows what we want. He already sees our hearts and so he says, Jesus, to correct the disciples' perspective on prayer, as they saw the hypocritical uh, religious leaders praying to be noticed, 
Jesus offered a pattern for prayer, an example that is commonly called, in verses 9 through 15, the Lord's Prayer. You know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if Jesus didn't just tell them in verse 7 that he didn't want them to have a meaningless repetition or a repetition of, of words, then to just simply say the Lord's Prayer over and over again without thought would be meaningless. No, he was giving them, as we're going to study in the weeks to come, a pattern. The first thought that you and I are to have is praying to your Father who's in heaven, he said. That his kingdom will come. His will will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And when you start understanding that, you, you go to the Father with respect. You go to him with awe. You, you thank him for who he is. And, 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 you, and you, you start praying in this fashion to where you start honoring his name rather than laying all of your wants before the throne of God. To take our minds off of ourselves and to place our thoughts and our hearts and our minds on him where they truly belong. You see, he already knows what you need anyways. He said that in verse 8. Or excuse me, was it verse 8 or verse... Yeah, verse 8. He says, look, the Father knows... He knows what you need before you ask of him. Think it through. There's hardly anything my son surprises me with. I mean, if he asks me for something, I pretty much know what's going on in his life. I'm I'm more than willing to help him. I'm not God. I'm just a parent. Your father who is in heaven knows what you need before you even ask of him. Look further on in this chapter of of Matthew, chapter 6. Look at verses 31, 32, and 33. He He says, Jesus is saying, Don't worry then, saying, What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? What are you going to wear for clothing? The the Gentiles, the non-believers, eagerly seek all of these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Verse 33 is probably one of the great verses in all of Scripture. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then all of these things shall be, what? Added unto you. There is an attitude that Jesus wants us to come before the Father in prayer. I believe that, that our Father wants you and me through prayer to stop thinking about all the things that we need, we want. He already knows that. 
But prayer is to become within your life and within my life a, a simple agreement that He is sovereign over us. His righteousness, His majesty reigns over our eternal souls. He is caring for us and one day we will be with Him in heaven. That is what prayer is truly all about. Not our will to be done, but His. Prayers are purely an exercise, folks, to conform your desire, your lives, into His will and His glory. Prayer is that time when you see God moving this way, and maybe you and I are moving this way, rather than saying, come on, God, come on, come on, boy, get over here, help bless me, because I'm going off in this direction. Hopefully you and I will come to the place when we're going this way and we see him going that way that we go, your will be done. Your glory be done in and through my lives. And we conform our lives into what he desires of us rather than the other way around. And we're going to see that in the weeks to come. And so Jesus simply says when they asked him in Luke and here in Matthew, How shall we pray? He says, pray then in this way. And what he gives them in verses 10 through 15 is a pattern, an example of how to pray rather than a formula where we can meaninglessly say repetitiously over and over again this prayer. And before you know it, you can say it without even knowing what you said. I've seen that happen. I mean no disrespect. None. I do mean no disrespect. But my mother and I went. I went with my mother to one of her dearest friends who died and went to a funeral in San Pedro. And they uh, called uh, a person to come and pray who was uh, high up in the structure of the church. And the person that came didn't know the woman that was, that was, that had just passed away, just knew of the families. And it was obvious in a hurry. So he, first of all, he mispronounced her name. And then when he started to pray, I was watching him, and he was going, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I wanted to stand up and shout, Stop! Stop! Don't blaspheme God, nor disrespect this dear lady who lived. It was so upsetting to me. He was saying words that he knew by heart that had no meaning to him. And he was saying these, this prayer over and over and over again. And he kept doing this. And I kept wanting to do that. I wanted to walk up to him and choke his little neck. I did. I didn't. Yes, it was good. But I think his prayers were not heard You and I are to learn to pray respectfully to our God and not just give Him meaningless repetition, but to tell Him that you love Him, that you so appreciate what you're going through. Let me give you, can I give you, in a, just in a minute, I'm, I, don't even turn, but, but you could, well, I'm not just going to flip, I'm just going to flip. This is the way I pray sometimes. I just flipped to the Psalms. Let me just give you an example. I, I, I happen to be in Psalms 118, 
I'm going to look at verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. And what I do is I pray God back His word. I said, oh, Father, You are so good. Your your loving kindness to me is everlasting. I thank You that You've given me the privilege of knowing You. Thank You, Father, for who You are. You are a wonderful and great God. And then I go on to say, oh, let Israel say, His loving kindness is forever. Yes, Father, it repeats itself. You are forever good. You will forever be good in my life. And all I do is start repeating back to the Lord His Word. And that's kind of the way I have a tendency to go to the Lord in prayer. Rather than thinking about, I need, oh, I need this, that, and this, that, and the other, He already knows I need this, that, this, that, and the other. What He wants to know is, do I love Him? Will I honor Him with my life and with my prayers? We're going to try and learn so that in this coming year, when you and I move through this wonderful season, Christmas, and the honoring of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and move into the year 2008, we will have a real understanding of being a people who are continually devoted to the things of God, to the teaching of the Word, to have fellowship with one another, to... to, uh, have communion so that we can remember all that our Lord did for us and we have the power, the very power of God because we can go to Him in prayer and that you will make this next year one of the most precious years you've ever had. I see praying can be praying without ceasing very easily when you realize you don't have to be in a certain position or you don't have to say a lot of words. You know, you, you drive by a an accident in the road and you say if you don't stop, if you're not the kind that wants to stop and get involved, you can just say, Lord, please care for that family. Care for them. Or thank you, Lord, that I didn't run another person over again or whatever. (laughs) It is simple. It is talking to a beloved friend and having an ongoing communication with the God who has made you to love Him forever. Now tomorrow we will have uh, two services. I pray that you'll come if you can. Um, it'll be all about the birth of Christ. We're going to take a look at, uh, at, at uh, Matthew uh, and the birth of our Lord. I want to say to you what I think every one of you would want to say to the other person if you had my privilege. I want to say to you, I love you. I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. I want to say to you that you have the most wonderful time this season, this Christmas season, and that this coming new year will be the most wonderfully spiritual experience that you've ever experienced. And all of a sudden, your faith will not be something that's that's out there that's weird, but something that is so real and genuine that you'll be continually devoted to the things of God. And what you'll find out in this year to come is that it's not not so strange to be a continually devoted believer. It's a privilege. I pray that we'll be able to teach that and that'll be real to all of us here in this church. Merry Christmas. God bless you. I love you so much. Father, thank you for the people in this church. 
I pray that this Christmas, that they celebrate the birth of your son and, uh, and honor you by loving on their family and their friends. And I pray that you will be well pleased with, with all of this, Father, and that we will honor you and just enjoy one another. Thank you for the privilege that we have, Father, to, to be able to celebrate you this time of the year. Thank you for the dear people who are overseas fighting, risking their lives so that we might be here safe and secure and have church. Watch over them, please. Care for them, please, Father. And now, Father, we just ask your blessings upon our lives as we go. But, uh, Father, we ask your blessings upon us so that we, in return, can bless you some way, somehow. May we be a blessing to you, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I love you guys so much. Merry Christmas. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow, I hope. Bye-bye.